Well, hello, I'm Doug DeVries, and I practice in Sparks, Nevada. I limit my practice uh, to uh, ocular surface disease. Uh, enjoy it tremendously and had the privilege uh, of being with Hardeep Kataria uh, on a consensus panel this past summer where there were six uh, optometrists, there were six ophthalmologists, and what we wanted to come up with was consensus findings about MGD. It was a fun panel, wasn't it? I loved it, it's great. Yeah, well, we're gonna discuss it today and we're gonna kind of go over the points. Uh, we're gonna, you know, we've covered some of the earlier points in another video, so we're actually gonna start about midway through uh, on these points right here. Uh, we, you know, when we talk about palliative and RX MGD treatments, um, let's talk about them. I mean, when there's a multitude of treatments, really. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of define, you know, where we are with that. And interesting, there's not a drug that's approved for MGD. Yet. Yet. Good point. Uh, a lot of exciting things on the horizon. So, you know, as we start looking, but, you know, when we talk about, you know, artificial tears and, you know, I mean, it, it, you almost have to make sure the patient is on a good artificial tear before you're progressing and some of that is dictated by insurance as well. Yes. Warm compresses, you regularly use them? I do and I think I have shifted, you know, uh, not necessarily using it as first line of treatment or the only line of treatment anymore and it's really shifted as more maintenance after implementing some sort of in-office interventional treatment. Oh absolutely, 100% and I agree. The only reason I start it is I tell them we're just going to be practicing your homework after we do the mechanical therapy on your lids. Yes, exactly. Yeah, nutraceuticals. You I, I think they have a very significant role. You know, I always tell the patients with the interventional treatments and the at-home treatments, we're really treating the disease state from the outside, but we also want to do a treatment from the inside of the body. So we call that a one-two punch in my clinic. Well, and, and nutrition is quite often so bad that, you know, I, I think it's an essential part. I agree. I think it really becomes part of baseline. And I don't necessarily just use a step approach. I will tell them we're going to start on this acute phase. Part of that is maintenance with nutraceuticals. We may use some of the other uh, therapeutics uh, available for the acute phase, but we're going to have to do something about the lids. Yes. Because I can't let this continue. I can't let you to continue to go down that chronic and progressive path. Yes, agreed. So, uh, lid cleansers and lid hygiene, do you feel that's part as well? Yes, absolutely. Good hypochlorous acid sprays, very helpful for controlling that blepharitis. Agree. And then, of course, we have topical steroids. Yes. Yeah, topical steroids, which we use uh, and uh, actually use quite a bit of them. Yes. In the practice, and I think necessary. And then you can get into azithromycin, you can get topical form, you can get oral form to uh, manage MGD. Uh, you know, when we look at those patients and we, we really discern that, that, I mean, that was a lot of treatment we just talked about. How do you separate that in getting a patient going without overwhelming them? So I'll typically start out with a stepwise approach. You know, I am talking to the patient about at-home treatments at the very first visit. And like you said, we talk to the patient to create more habits. But the intention really in a patient who has MGD is to move them as quickly as possible to an interventional in-office MGD treatment. 
And so the way I like to do it is really approach this in stages. I am, however, talking to the patient about interventional treatments right at that first visit because I know that's the direction that I'm going in. And I really want to prepare the patient, prime them, allow them some time to absorb and understand the education that I've provided. And then we'll do a short follow-up and then we'll continue to go down that path and really talk about why is the disease state progressing and why should we implement interventional MGD treatment. You know, I feel that is so wise because you're laying out a plan you're not going to something else if these fail. Absolutely. You're letting them know that it's just part of an overall plan, but we're gonna have to address and have those interventional treatments. So we're gonna talk about some of those interventional in-office treatments. Uh, and the first thing I would say about those interventional treatments is they're really with the different price points, with the different access and ability to get in, that there's no reason that they're not in every eye care practice. Yes, I do agree. I think it's very important. Choose what you're comfortable with, choose what fits the budget, and then just go with that. There you go. And, and really, at that point, develop a protocol. Yes. Of how you establish, how you introduce it to the patient. Yeah. Uh, the first thing we'll talk about is semi-automated uh, thermal pulsation. So we're heating the, uh, the lids up, we're manually expressing all in a continuous type of environment, but it's not automated, it's semi-automated. When we're looking at something like that, uh, it can really take a customized approach. You can look at the imaging of the meibomian glands, which this platform will do now, is actually image the glands, uh, and decide where you're gonna put the majority of your time and pressure to try and get the amount of meibom and free the obstruction uh, as much as possible according to a plan. Or a patient that has, has small apertures. If you can't get in and put an activator of an automated, then you need to have a, a fallback position on that. And those claustrophobic patients, if you get patients that just don't like the idea, and I was shocked at that when I started doing automated thermal pulsation, that patients really had this, oh no, don't cover up both of my eyes. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yep, actually, so to share a personal experience, I did have the automated procedure done and I elected to have one eye at a time because I was one of those patients. So semi-automated in terms of time, eight to 12 minutes uh, to perform and it is a customizable approach. And one of the aspects of, of this semi-automated is you can see exactly what is being expressed. You know what kind of rewards you're getting for the effort you're putting in. And I think it's important because you can really visualize what's happening in that meibomian gland as you're going through the procedure. Yep, uh, it really is helpful to me when I, when I see that now. In this particular procedure when it's being performed in my, in my practice, uh, I have a technician, but I put the areas that I want expressed and then I have him grade the amount and the quality of the meibom that, uh, that is actually being uh, removed in the obstruction. And that's so useful, especially on repeated procedures as well. Let's talk about automated, fully automated, vectored thermal pulsation. Uh, you've been using it for quite a while? I have, yes. I think it's a very successful treatment, especially for mild to moderate patients. I think it can be very helpful. Of course, like we mentioned, there are some contraindications, those small apertures, patients who have had tube shunts or a very anterior scleral buckle, those patients are not going to be great candidates. And of course, we've got the claustrophobic patients as well. And you do have the option of doing one eye at a time. It is a very repeatable, it's a very efficient procedure. And it's something actually that you can incorporate really well into the clinic flow because you can actually move this on and you know have a technician run this simultaneously whilst you're seeing patients in your established clinic. 
And and so the efficiency is just bond none with this one. Yeah, the efficiency is absolutely the most efficient way to uh, to do some type of thermal expression. I don't think there's any question. Uh, I'm like you have been doing it for years and years. And I think there's a misconception over this technology also that because when it was first released, it was very expensive. Well, they brought the price down tremendously on that. So I think that uh, you know as we look at as we look at options. And we can rank, you know, what's going to be efficiency? What are you going to pay for? What is the cost of the procedure? There's some of those items. Uh, let's talk about intelligent heat and manual expression. Yeah, so manual expression can be so helpful for our moderate to severe patients. And just like you mentioned earlier, you can really use that myography, really help understand and guide your treatment and, and spend more time in areas that you feel need more attention. And that's really the biggest advantage here. Yeah, and, uh, and of course with the intelligent heat uh, and manual, the footprint is literally non-existent. I mean, the patient holds it in their hand or they head it off to the side of their chair. So very easy. And it's eyes open. Yes, yes. So our patients can be you. on their cell phones. So, you know, when we when we look at those, uh, those treatments, <clears throat> do you ever combine the treatments? I think there's huge application for a combination of treatments. It really just depends on the severity, it depends on patient symptoms, depends on what you're seeing on the myography, what is the health of the corneal epithelium, but there is definitely a role. And also, these treatments don't always do the same thing, right? Exactly, yeah. And then I think, you know, another mechanical treatment that we have is intense pulse light, IPL. Uh, I've been utilizing IPL for six and a half years now, and uh, that is definitely something that I combine. I mean, I do four sessions of intense pulse light treatment followed by a thermal expression. Yes, absolutely. And I think these thermal treatments that we're talking about are not necessarily going to address any kind of underlying skin disorder like rosacea. They're not going to address the load of demodex that we see on those eyelashes. And that's where really the power of combination plays a role. It really does. And I think, you know, when you look at the literature and you look at the papers, it certainly is, uh, you know, very combinable to look at. And, and also that, you know, we talked about those procedures and getting that patient ready for their homework. Because what I found is if I see a patient and I've prescribed certain treatments as maintenance, and I look at the myobum and it's starting to get thick faster than I would think. Uh, you know, I look at the patient and I say, have you been doing your compresses? Have you been doing your homework? And invariably, they'll look down and they go, no, I haven't been very good. And at least they'll take ownership of that. It's not, you know, completely your fault. They'll take some ownership of that. So IPL, I understand you have an IPL coming into your uh, clinic I soon. Do. Very exciting. Oh, very good. You're going to love it. it uh, you, but it is, it's one of those, it's not an either or. It usually, mm -hmm. In my clinic, it's a both yes. to do that, to get the optimum results on that. Yeah. Um, so we can combine, uh, you know, other, other mechanical techniques like the microbluffle exfoliation. I personally do that before every thermal uh, expression. Yep, I agree, and I think it goes back to that conversation we had earlier when we're really assessing the lids. The lids are so important in meibomian gland dysfunction, and we really owe it to the lids to be assessing anterior to posterior. So we're looking at those lashes, we're understanding the obstruction and the obstruction of the meibomian gland orifices, and we really have to remove that bacterial biofilm, the hyperkeratinization, and open up the meibomian gland orifice so that we have the opportunity to then evacuate those meibomian glands. You know, and I agree, I really feel that that, that biofilm is something that we have to pay attention to. Yeah. I mean, because a biofilm surface bacteria and moisture that's the eyelids. Yes. 
And so I, I do think that's something we have to uh, pay attention to that. So let's talk about, this is a, the first consensus finding we'll talk about in treatments. And uh, after use of interventional MGD treatments, what percentage of these patients have a significant reduction of MGD signs and symptoms three months after the treatment? And the answer to that was about two thirds of the consensus panel felt that they, they had re received benefits and continue in three months. How do you feel about that number? I think it's I think it's quite accurate. And I think it, there's so many variable factors. We, that's what we have to really understand. If we're talking about um, you know, a very moderate to severe MGD patient, we're not really expecting one treatment to the be to be the be all end all of treatments, right? And this is something it's a chronic disease process, which means it's going to require chronic treatment. And like you said, the homework, there's a patient responsibility, there's a practitioner responsibility. For milder patients, I can't expect this number to be higher. Yeah, and I agree uh, because the component that we're not taking into uh, account on that. I have so many patients that after three months they said, well. It feels about the same and I go, well, I'm really happy with what I'm seeing and they're okay with that. If I'm telling the, you know, the expression, the, 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 the uh, my bum looks better, uh, the staining on the cornea looks better and the, the defects in the cornea, they're comfortable with that because they don't sense as much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And at least it's not getting worse, number one. And then sometimes the symptoms do lag behind. And I think that we've seen that both in our clinics as well. I agree. And, and one of the other questions I'll ask the patient was, how often are you using artificial tears now? And they'll go, you know, I don't use them as much. Yeah. Well, that's because they don't have that, that need for them as much. Consensus finding number six, how important is it to incorporate modern interventional MG treatment into a standard OSD treatment practice? I think we're on the mark here. 11 out of 12 of us agree that this is very important and I think we've hit it. Uh, you know, I, I totally agree. I think that this is, uh, you know, that to find that we can introduce and we said there's no reason not to introduce some of this technology now because of the price point, because of the footprints, because of all the reasons. The key is integrating it in protocol. Yes. And how you how you integrate it into your, uh, your practice flow. Uh, and when we do integrate that, I think the, I think the, the key is having a plan and working your plan. Yeah, I completely agree. Whether that's the practitioner who's educating the patient, talking about the cost, talking about the financing options, where you have, whether you have a dedicated dry eye counselor or a scribe or a staff member doing that, it's very important to figure out what works for your practice. That answer is not going to look the same for my practice as it will for your practice. It's not going to because of patient demographics, because of space, because of staff. It's not gonna look the same, but I think the one thing you wanna do if you're gonna invest in that, have a plan yes. and stick to that yes. and, and be committed. I think that that's, uh, that's one of the most important aspects of that. Uh, so really when we take a look at interventional treatment, I mean, I think we're both exactly on the same page as the consensus was, it should be, it should be implemented within practices to, uh, to help this. So, so really when we, when we look at the consensus group and the group of six ophthalmologists, six optometrists, we really came up to a lot of commonalities of saying it's prevalent, it should be treated, there's no reason not to treat it. What did you take away from the consensus? I will agree with you. I think we have to 
We have to understand that we are looking for it. And I think that maybe in, there's a gap where in cataract patients, maybe we should be looking for it more. Maybe we should be implementing some sort of screening protocol for those patients. I think we all agree that interventional MGD treatment is of utmost importance when it comes to treating the disease, educating patients, and as practitioners ourselves, understanding the disease process. Hardeep, it was fun being on the panel with you, and it was fun discussing it with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug.